What about today when people ask you uh, or say carbs are bad? What do you tell them? I used what Dr. Cooper told me, which was the best defense ever, which was, did you know that your whole brain runs on carbs? And then I say, bring the bread basket over. I do want to say that I know that carbs are not just bread and cake. Yep. But I like to sort of, you know, I live in Los Angeles where people, like if the bread basket comes over to the table, they almost have a heart attack. <laughs> so I do like to say that, but the, the fact that you can say that your brain runs on carbs and people yeah. never knew that because I didn't know that. And it's just such a great retort. This is Fat Science, a podcast dedicated to the science of why we get fat. No diets, no agendas, just science that makes you feel better. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to replace professional medical advice. I'm Dr. Emily Cooper. I've been treating patients with metabolic issues for over 25 years. I'm on a mission to raise awareness about metabolic dysfunction and why diets don't work. Hi, I'm Andrea Taylor. I've been fat, very fat, chubby, morbidly obese, and done almost every diet ever invented. They all worked until they didn't. I've known Dr. Cooper forever, but when I became her patient and we learned metabolism was the real problem, wow, everything changed, and I've never been healthier. And I'm Mark Wright. It's time for Fat Science. Wait, does this podcast make me look fat? Welcome to Fat Science. I'm Mark Wright, along with Andrea Taylor and Dr. Emily Cooper. It's great to see you, too. Great to see you guys. Hello. All right. This episode covers why carbs are not bad, but wait, there's more. And butter isn't either. So this is going to be a fun episode. I've been waiting for us to be able to cover this topic because I think all of us at some point have heard the statement, oh, carbs, carbs are bad. People go into a restaurant, they'll order something and hold the bun and hold this and hold that as if somehow carbs are evil and carbs cause obesity and carbs cause a whole bunch of other medical issues. So let's start. Dr. Cooper, answer the question, if you would, are carbs bad for us? No, they're not. They're wonderful. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to need a little more than that. I thought it was a quiz. <laughs> uh, Dr. Cooper, you're a doctor. I want you to give us some more okay, information, please. <laughs> um, carbs are not bad for us. In fact, they're the opposite. They're really important for us. They're the most important fuel source, really, of the body. I mean, you can argue protein is important and fats are important. They're all important. But carbohydrates are really our primary energy source throughout the day to help us think, to help us move, we really need carbohydrates. Yeah. So let's talk about what a carbohydrate is. And when you say fuel, you're talking, what's what's the type of sugar that our brain runs on and that our body loves? Well, our brain loves glucose and glucose is primarily from dietary carbohydrates that we consume. And carbohydrate foods, you've recognized them, potatoes, rice, pasta, grains, crackers, bread, cereal, all of those types of foods, including uh, winter squash and even some vegetables, carrots and peas and corn have a good amount of carbohydrates in them as well. And um, our brain just absolutely loves carbohydrate, loves glucose. And that's what it really operates on. 
And most of our body uses glucose as a preferred fuel. So Andrea, let's bring you into the conversation because over the years, you've told this in past episodes, you've tried every diet there is. Yes. And a lot of them focused on this idea that somehow carbs, if you keep those out of your diet, that you'll be much more successful in losing weight. Tell me a little bit more about some of the diets that that labeled carbs as bad. Mm-hmm. I don't think any diet that I've ever been on, probably that was what I would have labeled at the time, probably before Dr. Cooper, that I would have labeled successful. I don't think any of them had carbs because <clears throat> I think they all cut out bread. They all cut out most sugar and they were all terribly, terribly painful. Um, and basically caused unhappiness and, and really made me, you know, starve. Um, you know, I think that they were focused, I mean, some were focused like an Atkinsy type diet on meats. Um, some were, you know, just on protein, even Weight Watchers has very little, um, when I did it, because there's a new Weight Watchers now that's very different. But I mean, I was on the first Weight Watchers when I was probably like 10. And there was very little bread, um, very little potato, very little rice. I mean, you literally had like a quarter cup, which if you've ever had a quarter cup of rice, you're basically counting the grains. Mm. It is not a lot. Um, Personally, I have never craved a salad. Um, you know, it, it is not something I do not crave lettuce. I everything that Dr. Cooper just talked about in the carb category is something that I like. Yeah. So when the carbs are missing, it is not happiness. Yeah, Dr. Cooper, I'd love to explore the idea of good carbs versus bad carbs. Because I think a lot of us believe that, you know, like sugar and candy, that's terrible, bad. Processed sugars are horrible and, and complex grains are good. But talk talk to us about the idea. Are are there good and bad carbs? I don't think that way myself. Um, I really don't. And I don't, you know, speak to patients that way about good or bad foods, good or bad carbs, because there could be a place for everything. What if you go to a birthday party and you want to ha- enjoy a wonderful piece of birthday cake? That's doing a lot for you just because you're enjoying it and you're having a social time enjoying it with others. And that's actually beneficial even for your metabolism to enjoy your food. So, um, of course, we don't want to eat, just live on cake and ice cream and candy all day long. No one's talking about that. But having a serving or two of something sweet every day is considered pretty normal. So, we don't want to just exclude foods out of the diet, but Focusing on whole grains, beans, legumes, breads, cereals, things like that is great, but there's a place for more refined carbs also, like white flour breads, white flour pasta, white rice, potatoes, things like that also give our body quick fuel and energy when we need it if we're doing something that is really demanding. Um, And in general, I just feel like people have a better sense themselves of which carbohydrates they feel best on. We just want to make sure that they do include them in the diet. That's really interesting because the more complex carbohydrates, they take more uh, they, they take more time for the body to turn them into pure energy. So instead of good versus bad, you're just saying that 
um, how, how quickly they're available is sort of the defining factor? Yes. And I think if you plan your food better, you can eat more complex carbs and things like that throughout the day. If you're in a food emergency, it's probably better to just grab something that your body can access the fuel out of it quicker. So it's great yeah. to plan ahead. Um, but then again, what if you're an athlete and you're exercising more than say five or six hours a week? Now you really need to be focused on getting enough carbs in the diet on a daily basis to keep your muscles fueled with energy. And that requires adding a variety of different carbs in the diet. Because if say, say you focus mostly on high fiber complex carbs, your stomach actually might become too full to eat enough calories to support the exercise because fiber distends in our stomach and actually makes our stomach feel full when we might not actually have eaten enough calories and nutrients. Okay. I'm going to ask a very personal question. I grew up working on an organic vegetable farm up in Ferndale near the Canadian border. And my brothers and I would, uh, when payday would come, we would take our paycheck and we would cash it. And we would go down to a little market near our house and we would buy just a ton of candy. And my mom didn't let us have sweetened cereal at home. So we We'd buy sweetened cereal and candy and six packs of Orange Crush. And then we'd take these bags home and we would just gorge ourselves. Um, my question is, I mean, and then I just felt horrible. Like, you know, you know, when you just eat like junk for a whole mm -hmm. day, your body then it's just, it's almost like a hangover feeling that you're just like, Bleh. did you guys ever do that with candy when you were little? Um, Probably on Halloween. Yeah. <laughs> when we would dump our bags of candy and eat them because we weren't allowed to have a lot of candy and um, sugary cereal. And I know that Dr. Cooper <laughs> no, wasn't either since her family was the first ones that made their own yogurt <laughs> when nobody even ate yogurt. Seriously, um, like on the countertop? Yeah, grow their yes. own sprouts and things too. <laughs> yeah, they grew sprouts. <laughs> Let me just say nobody went to her house for snacks. <laughs> Um, like even my house had better snacks than hers and we didn't have good snacks. Um, but, but I do know like on Halloween when we would get candy, like it would feel like you had a sugar rush. It was like a weird thing, but yeah. something that was kind of good. That's one reason not to really restrict the sweets and things in the household too much because if you do, they become this forbidden food and kids really gravitate to those things that are supposedly off limits. And so then all oh, of yeah. a sudden you're triggering kind of that type of behavior. I don't know if it's because you were on an organic farm and eating really well that you just <laughs> didn't have enough, you know, that you felt deprived of these, these kinds of sweets, but, but it's good to always. Oh, we felt it was a huge injustice yes. that we didn't have like frosted oh, yes, flakes. You know? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I lived on Frosted Flakes my freshman year yeah. in college. That's yeah. awesome. I think everyone has those types of stories for sure. Um, but that's where it's so important to kind of deflate the anxiety around food because if you don't, you'll see more and more of that type of behavior. Well, I do think that, that you know, when I talk about the lack of carbs, I mean, I live in Los Angeles, so you know that carbs are the enemy in my entire city. <laughs> And when a bread basket is offered, it's like the enemy has arrived at the table. And I'm the only one that can, you know, 
I use Dr. Cooper's, well, you know that the brain is fueled by carbohydrates to allow the breadbasket to be on the table. And people are like, oh, the brain, you know, so that has allowed the breadbasket to sit on the table. And it, it does help a little bit, but, um, you know, because bread is happiness to me. I, I, I totally agree. I want to ask, though, Dr. Cooper, what where did this idea that carbs are bad come from? Can you give us a little history lesson on that? It's fascinating. As far back as I could reliably track, um, at least this, at least the 1750s, 1700s is where the low starch, high meat diets came into play. And people at that time were literally washing their vegetables to wash the, the starch off the vegetables too. And the diet consisted of water, meat, which apparently was rancid. I don't know, I guess they didn't have good refrigeration, but, and wine, they allowed wine on the diet. Well, and sure. then later, sure. to help people stay on the diet, they added opium. So this was... Well, you oh, would boy. need yeah. that. You would and need opi that. Opium oh. does kind of make you not as hungry and help deaden the pain of being without food. So they would restrict the calories, but also focus on meat, wine, water. And it was pretty much all that they would feed people with diabetes or obesity and this, these diets were formulated by doctors, unfortunately. So do doctors, the diet doctor goes back hundreds of years. And um, that was the beginning, I feel, of the real movement to the low starch diets. And that continued on, you know, for hundreds of years. It's, that's exactly where our low carb diets, whether it was paleo or the whole 30 or like, every single new diet that comes out is basically an offshoot of that, of the low starch model. Yeah. But the irony is the science doesn't support that, does yeah. it? I mean, because you just said that the body needs glucose, which comes from carbs. And so how come the science didn't inform all those doctors and all those it diets? It is really interesting. And if you think about it, if the science did work in that direction, why would we have a diabetes epidemic now? you know, more than ever. And people have been following that type of diet model for hundreds of years. And I think it's, it just boils down to people feeling like they want to control something. They want to sacrifice something, give something up that's meaningful to them. Andrea said, carbs are what I loved. So this, the psychological part of, I have to give those up and that is going to somehow solve my problem because I'm making such a great sacrifice. It's kind of, there's a psychological component to it as well. And there's the stigma around weight and diabetes and trying to always push that on a person that maybe they're not suffering enough, that they don't deserve to lose the weight because they didn't try hard enough and they didn't cut out things that they really love. It, it's just a real strange situation. I have, I really don't know why the science hasn't been looked at before because it really has been, been known. I mean, I guess one of the things to mention is if you do go on a low carb diet, you will see the scale move. So that is one of the marketing aspects of it, that it lures you in because you see the scale move. And the reason for that is that carbohydrates in the body are stored with water. So for every carbohydrate molecule, it's stored with three water molecules, primarily in your muscles, which are made of mostly water for this reason. 
And so when you go on a low carb diet, you actually diurese, you get rid of a ton of water and that moves hmm. the scale down. And that is the first weight that you see start coming off pretty quickly. And that makes people really feel like it's working and it pulls them in. Hmm. But long-term studies- And it pulls them in faster. It, yes. It pulls them in faster than other diets. Exactly. Wow. That's really interesting. So when the carb is stored in a muscle with some water, is that because it's it's more readily accessible if we have to start using our muscles? Yes. Um, our muscles store a certain amount of carbs. It's called glycogen. And that's to be used for exercise and muscle energy, basically. Hmm. And so they're, they're stored in there wow. and they're available for use. But if you're on a really low depleted, normally we don't even tap into that if we're not using those muscles. But if we're on a really low carb diet and our brain is upset about it, needs that glucose, starts liberating glucose from various areas, and it can definitely deplete the glycogen levels from everywhere in your body where you can store it. You cannot store a lot of carbohydrates in the body, only in the liver and the muscles, basically. So there's not a big storage. If you don't get enough carbohydrates in the diet, the body still needs the glucose. So this is one of the problems is then it has to turn to protein sources and it can convert the proteins and break them down into little building blocks called amino acids. And from there, it can convert those into glucose. So if you're on a low-carb diet, what happens to all the stuff in the body? Like what happens to everything else? Well, our body has to have the carbs. So whether you eat them from the dietary carbs or you don't, it's going to find a way to get glucose and manufacture glucose. And what it does, after it's made its way through any stored carbohydrates in the body, it turns to proteins in the body. And it can actually break those proteins down into the little building blocks called amino acids. And from there, it can convert those into glucose. One of the big, pro one of the big problems is the protein source that's used to really obtain that glucose and manufacture that glucose from protein in the body is usually from your immune system or your muscles. So you will start breaking down your muscles and your immune system will be compromised as well. So that just plays into what you just talked about, that when you cut out carbs, the water that's been storing carbs goes away, you lose weight. Ooh, that's good news. And then your body starts to draw on your muscle to break protein down into amino acids, down into <laughs> yeah. the carbs that you needed in the yes, first place. exactly. And then you lose more weight. Right. Wow. So... Then what happens if you continue depriving the body of carbs? Well, what, what does that end up leading as to? As this is happening, simultaneously, your brain is taking all kinds of measures to slow down your metabolism. And so it's turning the dials down, down, down so that you won't burn as much fuel. And also that type of disruption is also going to lead to difficulty feeling satisfied after you eat because it's also trying to jack up your appetite to get you to eat more food. So it's trying to defend itself by doing these two maneuvers, slowing your metabolism down and jacking up your appetite simultaneously. So that's why long-term, you keep going into the same cycle that you've been in since you started. Yes. So Andrea, all those diets that you did throughout the years that deprived you of carbs and you had enough protein and stuff, 
you lost weight at first, right? Always. And it looked, and it Always. Was, yeah. The first week you would lose like five pounds and then the second week, maybe three. And I mean, long term, you know, each diet, I mean, I've been on diets where I lost 75 pounds. Hmm. Then I would be like, I can't do it anymore. I can't do it anymore. And then the 75 would come back plus maybe another 15 or so or and then I would go on another one I'd lose 50 and then I would gain another 20 plus the 50 and it was a site I mean it's a cycle that I've done you know I did for 50 50 something years so it's not like it didn't happen over and over and over again and you know it's hard because you do them and then everyone's like, oh, you look so good. It's so great. Now you're healthy. And it's like, I mean, as Dr. Cooper said, you were healthy before you started. <laughs> the unhealthy part, because I was like, oh, I was always so successful. And she's like, then how come you're here now? <laughs> I was like, oh, I didn't really think of it that way. But honestly, I mean, you know, you come to a realization, and I am actually a realist, it's like, oh, I get it now. And, you know, you try, and I, seriously, my whole weight loss, you know, call it a journey, call it a whatever, it wasn't about, like, I I mean, my fashion modeling career was never going to be happening. It was more about, like, I didn't want to be, have have to be carried out of the house, you know, by a crane. So I just wanted to be healthy. So that was what it was all about. And I didn't want to do one more circular route again. Yeah. So since we talked about butter off the top of the episode, I feel like we really need to give butter its due. Um, Dr. Cooper, talk about fats. Um, you know, we, we have talked about, I think as a society, good fats, bad fats, the Mediterranean diet. Talk about just like butter. Mm-hmm its role in a, in a healthy diet and, and what our proper view of it should be. You know, and that's also kind of individual, I find clinically, because you always think butter is going to increase your cholesterol levels and your LDL cholesterol. And clinically, it doesn't, it doesn't really always work out that way. It seems that some people can eat a lot of butter. It doesn't affect their cholesterol at all. At other people, it does help to reduce the saturated fats and focus on other types of fats in the diet. One thing to think about is our cell membranes are made up of, of fats. All of our cells in the body have a fatty layer that's protective, that seals them from the outside environment. And that fatty layer the, requires us to have dietary fats to have a healthy cell membrane. The dietary fats that actually produce the healthiest cell membrane are probably not butter, actually. I mean, some butter is totally fine in your diet, but (laughs) to create a really resilient cell membrane that's actually real healthy and really effective at flushing waste products out of the cell and nutrients in, that's going to be more fats like monounsaturated fats and omega-3 fatty acids and things like that. So in your diet... So like olive oil and avocados and salmon, stuff like that? Yes, exactly, yes. All of those types of things. And, you know, butter has a role too. It's just that we don't want to only rely on butter and other saturated fats as our only primary fat source just for our general health. But we need a lot of fat in our diet. And it it does help provide long-term energy throughout the day and keep our energy levels really stable. And it's, as Andrea mentioned, it's great for our skin. And a lot of that is because of our cell membrane function. 
So a variety of fats throughout the day is, is really good. And having some butter in there is, is totally fine and, and great. It's just that if you have a cholesterol problem and LDL cholesterol, you could try shifting the balance of your fats a little bit further away from the saturated fats and which are found in animal fats and more towards plant-based fats. It doesn't always improve the cholesterol panel though. I have several patients no. who've tried it and it's like, it actually got worse. So, so they said, forget it. I'm going back to my other diet. You know, the, what, the thought that I'm getting is that as you've been talking about food and Andrea has been talking about food, it really seems that we, we just need to take fear out of the equation and, and stop being afraid of foods and just realize that life has all kinds of flavors and colors and tastes and and just to embrace the joy of food and stop freaking out about, oh, I can only have three chocolate chips today as my reward. It just seems like, does, am I making sense, Dr. Cooper? Yeah. Is that is that mindset part of the problem here? It's a huge part, and that's kind of what they discovered with the Mediterranean diet. It was really more of a way of life. It wasn't so much the foods that were in the diet. It was the food enjoyment and eating kind of local foods and being really involved in your foods and the preparation and, and harvesting and things like that that have been shown to bring a lot of enjoyment and that that also benefited the metabolism. Well, I think that that's when, when we talk about like the brain being attached to your metabolism and the brain being attached to the enjoyment of your food, um, there's scientific studies that, that prove that that is mm -hmm. right, that prove that when your brain is enjoying things, you actually can let, it's like letting go and, and helping you with like weight loss versus weight like your body holding on to something to protect it. Yeah. I mean, when you think of it sort of rationally, it kind of makes sense. Yeah. So like if you're at the birthday party and you're agonizing over whether you should eat the cake, your brain's probably thinking, hey, hey, is everything okay? But then when you just stop agonizing and have a piece of birthday cake, your brain probably says, hey, this is good. Exactly. Right. It's okay I feel good. to have a yeah. little. Yes. <laughs> Definitely. It's like okay to enjoy something for mm -hmm. once. I feel like we should talk about diet soda. Dr. Mm -hmm. Cooper, since we are talking about carbs, um, tell us your opinion on whether diet soda is something we should have in our diets as it relates to the argument over whether carbs are good or bad. Well, I recommend against artificial sweeteners in the diet for our patients because we're not trying, we're trying so much not to trick the brain in any way. We don't want all of a sudden in the mouth something to taste sweet and then the brain to be upset that it's not nutritive and it can confuse your metabolism. So we try to leave artificial sweeteners out of the diet and just have, use sugar, but don't use, you know, obviously, again, if you're eating every few hours and you're getting all the food groups with your meals, it's so unlikely that you're really going to gravitate to eating a whole bunch of extra sugar that you don't need. So eating on that regular ordered basis throughout the day with some Regular sugar mixed in when you want something sweet, not artificial sugar, is the best way to go. Plus, when you're drinking a lot of diet soda, after you've started eating sort of every three hours, you realize how much that diet soda fills you up, and it really isn't satisfying. It's just a lot of gassy stuff. <laughs> yeah. And if you think, I mean, do the math. We have a diabetes epidemic in this country, and how many billion dollars of diet soda do we sell a year? It's, it's just not working, it's right? It's not. And 
Isn't there a lot of like what um, Dr. Cooper calls obesogens in those cans? Thanks, Andrea. It's so true. In those yes. cans. There's a lot of poison stuff in those cans. <laughs> you shouldn't go yeah. for that. Canned beverages may be lined. Not Usually good. they are lined with either BPA or BPS, which is just as bad. And studies do show that if you drink a beverage from a can like that, your blood pressure is elevated for four hours afterwards. Just because yeah. of the so these are pla plastics, yes, plastics, plastic liners. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I guess even sugar, like a future even sugar soda, maybe not, not the thing to have in a can. Wow, yeah, not so good. <laughs> Sounds like a, a future episode mm -hmm. of Fat Science. So, Doctor Cooper, how much of our diet should actually consist of of carbs? Our diet should really consist of about fifty percent carbohydrates if we live a pretty semi-active lifestyle, if we're really athletic, it could go up to 70% of the total calories coming from carbohydrates. Well, because that energy needs to be available for those, those right. athletes, right? So Dr. Cooper, I was at dinner the other night and uh, a woman sitting next to me saw me eat my roll first with some butter on it. She said, oh, if you eat carbs first, your blood sugar is going to be higher than, than if you ate carbs at the end of your meal. Um, can you kind of dispel, I mean, is this, this is how crazy we are about carbs in our culture. What, give me this, what does the science say about whether Mark should have had his role first or last at dinner? I think it's funny that you have a diagnostician at the table when you go out to dinner <laughs> um, and they have no idea like what you're. But everybody thinks they're an expert. They see some stupid video on Instagram and then they're like suddenly an expert on I carbs. Oh, yeah, that. So what does the science say about whether I should have had this stupid roll at the beginning or end of my no, meal? No, in your particular plan, you need to just eat all your foods normally how you feel like eating them <laughs> throughout the course of your meal. We don't want to be... I feel like people are kind of playing with their food too much and manipulating it and getting in the way of their own body's healthy metabolism. So by making so many food rules... we. The, we try to dismantle all the food rules we can. Like, so that's just one more unnecessary one. <laughs> okay. Maybe we should all say it together. Carbs are good. Carbs are good. But Carbs I love, equal yes. happiness. <laughs> Andrea, I love how you said, though, in restaurants in Los Angeles, how when the bread basket comes out, oh. it's like they're carrying a corpse or something it's and the, everybody the, freaks it's out. It's like the devil. <laughs> okay. It's really bad. So we've learned something today, team. Carbs are good for us. Carbs are necessary. Yay. And fats are part of a necessary diet as well. So this yeah. has been fun. Uh, Andrea Taylor, Dr. Emily Cooper, thank you so much. This has been another episode of Fat, Fat Science. Science. Yeah. No diets, no agendas, just science to make you feel better. See you next week. I'm Mark Wright. Thanks for listening to Fat Science with Dr. Emily Cooper, a Work P2P production. New episodes drop every Monday. If you've enjoyed the conversation, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. This production is for informational purposes only and is not intended to replace professional medical advice. Join us next week for another episode dedicated to the science of why we get fat. No diets, no agendas, just science that makes you feel better.